You're listening to Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn how to improve key metrics that grow your business from companies that have done it before. In this episode, I got to chat with Amelia Kortinska, head of marketing at UserPilot, to learn how she used organic content to increase visitors by 300% and conversions by 59%. You'll learn how she set content clusters to serve top of funnel, middle of funnel, and bottom of funnel topics, the exact system she created to scale from four posts per month to an output of 40 or 50 posts per month, and how she thinks about measuring which keywords are actually driving the most conversions. If you're interested in using quality content optimized for search as a good marketing channel for your company, I think you're gonna love this episode. Amelia, thank you so much for coming on Metrics and Chill today. I am really excited to talk to you uh, and learn how you uh, are doing marketing at UserPilot, specifically how you drove more monthly visitors, more last touch conversions from the blog, from organic. I have so many questions to ask you, so thanks for coming on and being willing to share your insights. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremiah. I feel like this is so meta that we're talking about it because um, it was actually your CMO, John Vanini, that largely inspired me to focus on content and inspired some parts of my strategy. I've been following him on LinkedIn forever and then uh, subscribing to Patreon. And we've been using Databox for a year and a half at UserPilot. So yeah, it feels very at home to be talking to you. That's yeah. awesome. I'll pass that on to John. He'll, he'll be uh, <laughs> yeah. very glad to hear that. That's awesome. Yeah, you're, you're, uh, I mean, we're going to get into some of the details of it, but like I said, I was browsing the website before the call and the blog looks awesome. Like the content that you're putting out, I think John would be very, very proud. I'm going to ping him <laughs> later and show, you know, show him. Thank you. Um, so the way we typically start is can you kind of give listeners who aren't familiar, uh, like a broad 30 second uh, pitch for user pilot? Like what would be like the elevator pitch for what it does and, and who should use it and what pains you solve? Sure. So UserPilot is what we call a product growth platform. Um, it's mainly used by product managers, product teams, including product marketing managers, to increase various growth metrics inside their SaaS products. So, you know, user activation, um, feature adoption, general product adoption, and then, of course, reducing churn. Um, these are typically the metrics that our users are improving with UserPilot, and they do that through building various in-app experiences, onboarding experiences, secondary onboarding experiences, resource centers without any coding. So, you know, you and I, are, you can code like I, I can't, so <laughs> I can build things in UserPilot. Um, so this would allow like in the same way that sort of you can install like a drift chat bot with some JavaScript, like a JavaScript snippet exactly. on your website. Okay. And then yeah. you can kind of dictate what pops up, what you walk them through and all of that. Yeah, precisely. You can build native tool tips. It's, it's very kind of, um, it looks very native. So you can customize the experiences. So they look like actually someone has built them in your tool, right? But. They haven't been, you know, built in your tool. And the advantage of this is, of course, that it's a lot more scalable. So you have analytics attached to it, right? Normally, you wouldn't get that level of visibility and ability to experiment with various UI patterns as, as you do when this is like an experience layer. It sounds kind of like in the same way, I mean, you can tell me this is a bad analogy, but um, it sounds like in the same way that Webflow, like moving to something like Webflow mm. allows your marketing team maybe to like uh, spin out pages without leveraging 
you know, the design team who may be swamped or something like that. This allows product marketing managers to maybe test, you know, some things or try promoting certain features or whatever, or fix the onboarding experience without, um, without necessarily needing to leverage the product team to code a bunch of things. Yeah, or well, the engineering team, because they never have the time, um, especially after the sprint has ended, you know, and you need to do some kind of work after the feature has been launched. It just kind of <laughs> never happens because they're already moving on to the next one. So, yeah, you can probably relate. I think the biggest marketing mistake we've made was hard coding the homepage and then like the marketing team having to bug engineers and filing tickets every time we needed to, you know, run some conversion rate optimization request, uh, experiment or, you know, whatever we needed to change. That was a nightmare. So, yeah. Um, Luckily. So can you talk a little bit through when, when you lead, leading the marketing team there, what are some of the, the most important metrics that you're all looking at for user pilot? What are you tracking on a regular basis? Right. So we used to track a lot of different things, but now we decided to kind of go for lean analytics and um, we stripped down a lot of uh, uh, metrics we were looking at. And since our main acquisition channel is basically the organic channel, we mostly look at the uh, monthly number of visitors, the new visitors. Um, we're looking at the conversions to both demo button clicks and demos primarily. Uh, we recently added a self-serve trial, so we'll be looking at the trial signups as well now. Um, and apart from that, we're tracking the average position of certain keywords that we know lead to these conversions um, on a monthly basis. So we have like these tables where um, we look basically at how the average position for these highly converting keywords change over time and when we see a drop right then we know we need to kind of investigate um if we need to um revise this post and maybe republish it or maybe our competitors have been publishing something similar that is high quality so then we try to improve the content so yeah we're constantly monitoring um the health of our most um efficient channel so to say through these metrics um and then i'm also looking at some related sales metrics right so um i'm looking at the deal open rates right on monthly basis as well um and the number of deals closed which is of course a lagging metric that's roughly like two months behind but that is telling me whether the content strategy we we have is kind of going in the right direction in terms of lead quality. Because, um, you know, like just choosing to focus on different topics, right, after a while uh, may result in more sort of leads. But like, are these leads good quality? That's kind of a very lagging metric that you're able to to glean insights into if you look at the sales metrics as well. So yeah, this is, I have so many questions now. Um, I'm going to start and stay focused here. So the sales, the sales metrics you're looking at, do you kind of have a benchmark that you, you kind of want to be alerted if, if the close rates are dipping below a certain percentage that you know that maybe the lead quality needs to go up or something or how, what are you looking at specifically with the sales metrics to know that that's really interesting. 
Yeah, so we do have our own benchmarks, which are based kind of on our historical data. Um, so when they dip under the the specific threshold, I kind of don't want to spill the beans on that. <laughs> um, but um, we did look at the reasons for that together with the sales team, right? So the head of sales would then listen to that call recordings, check if it's a performance issue or if it's a lead quality issue, right? Because it can go both ways and we work with 100% inbound leads. So there's practically no pre-qualification. And that's why, you know, if there's nothing that has changed in the sales team's performance, right? The blame is on me, right? Because these are not on SDRs who have previously qualified the leads because we, we are only just adding this team into the equation before we were like literally hundred percent inbound. Okay. Okay. And is this, it's, it's, um, it's not product led growth, right? Like you, you book a demo when you go on the website, you're driving people primarily to sales. Like they're not starting a free trial or anything like that. And kind of like getting going on their own or is there, is there a mix? Maybe I just casually browse the website, so I might've missed it. Yeah, there is a mix. So, um, as I mentioned to you earlier, I think before we started the podcast, right away, we only recently added the free trial and that was also a deliberate decision. I mean, everyone gets a free trial after the demo, but you know, in the evolution of our products, we didn't feel until quite recently that the product was quite ready for product-led growth. So it's a pretty complex platform, right? It consists of product analytics, the engagement layer, um, which is based on the Chrome extension, which adds another layer of difficulty because you're building your own content on top of your own product. So how do we walk you through your own product right. and suggest what you should build? So that's the main problem that we are facing, that people, even if they figure out how to build things, they don't know what to build. So the sales calls are kind of almost like product consulting calls to some extent as well, where the AEs ask the prospects like, okay, so um, what, what challenges are you facing? And then based on that, they suggest, you know, the, the shortest path to success for them. And so, you know, it is possible to kind of semi-automate this process even with user pilot, but not exactly on top of your own tool, right? So that's yeah. kind of the challenge challenge we've been having and that's why initially we were driving most people to the demo but now we see actually huge impact of opening the self-serve signups that like um i think last month or uh, the, the previous month so in june 55 percent of our revenue was product-led so it wow. was actually coming from people who just went for the self-serve signup and um you know they played around they thought it was good enough for them and upgraded themselves without ever contacting us. <laughs> wow. Very cool. Yeah. I can imagine that would be a really complex thing because like we were, we were talking, you know, before I hit the record button that one of like the biggest dangers is that uh, users don't see all the things they could do and they're not yeah. aware of all the features, which obviously this is what your product tries to help uh, SaaS companies through. But yeah, something so complex where there's so many ideas of what they could build with it. Um, I would imagine a walkthrough is really helpful. You mentioned uh, you track the keywords that drive conversions. Yeah. This is really interesting. I've never heard a guest say this. Um, Early. <laughs> is this something that 
I mean, they may, maybe I just didn't ask the right questions, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it's super interesting. How are you doing this? Is this like you, you know, what articles are trying to rank for what keywords. And then, so if a certain blog article drives X amount of signups, you know, that like, do you, do you rank the blog posts in terms of which drive the most and a blog post is synonymous with keywords or how are you actually like pooling which keywords are driving the most signups or the most revenue? Yeah. So essentially, um, it's possible to kind of concatenate the data from Google analytics and search console for that. So, um, we have two dashboards, one listing the blog articles and kind of sorting them by the highest conversion rate. Right. And the other one corresponding, um, basically when you click on any of the, um, URLs, you see the other table kind of spit out the list of, um, keywords that this article is ranking for. Um, but you know, obviously we don't do it every single time, uh, when we're just kind of having a quick health check, doing a quick health check, if none of the important blog posts has dropped down in search, um, yeah, we, we know which keyword we've been like trying to optimize this particular post for. So barring something like didn't work out and it's, you know, ranked for something completely different, then we would need to adjust it. We kind of know which keywords we should be tracking at this point, right? Based on the data from, from this dashboard. And, um, so we created another dashboard that is kind of like a shortcut and it only shows the monthly average positions in SERPs for, um, these top converting keywords. Um, and yeah, that is something that we added after at some point, it was like just over a year ago after the June, 2021 Google update, like, um, we started really losing traffic. And we didn't necessarily know why we were publishing more. We didn't think like there were any technical errors. And we kind of had a fractional VP of marketing. Um, at that point, he was consulting us. And of course, I ran to him. <laughs> I didn't, couldn't understand what was going on. And he basically told me like, oh, that's probably because you're, like one of your top ranking articles has dropped down like seven positions in serves and you lost like a thousand sessions on that alone. I'm like, oh, okay. We need to start like really looking at basically the articles that, um, you know, drive most conversions. Yeah. But then how do you track, you know, their positions in serves? You need to decide on, on the keyword that you will be looking for, sure. looking at, right? Now, will this in, will this influence any content decisions, you know, by quarter by quarter or month by month? For example, if you see, uh, a couple keywords that are consistently in the lower parts of this table, they're not driving a lot of things. Will you in the future not write content for that? Or do you, does it not really change the scope of content that much? Um, it depends, right? Because, um, we're tracking last touch conversions here, right? But you know, when somebody converts, there are like a lot of other, um, blogs on their path typically. So looking at assisted conversions and whether this specific blog post may not be driving that many last touch direct conversions, 
but may, you know, assist in educating the um, leads on their path to conversion. And then we don't want to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I think it's important when you're analyzing data, it's important to often take a step back and just take a deep breath and think because being too data driven can backfire, right? Yeah. So um, you need to use your common sense, like which keywords are most aligned with, you know, the pain points that your product is solving for your customers and how do these pain points kind of fit into their awareness journey, right? So where do they start the search from, right? And where do they end the search? So, um, Basically, the top of the funnel versus bottom of the funnel keywords. Um, of course, bottom of the funnel keywords are easiest to convert. So everyone wants to have as many of them as possible. And we're also putting a lot of um, stress on creating, you know, primarily bottom of the funnel keywords. But I noticed that if someone just reads one piece of content, books the demo directly, they tend to be a bad lead. Because they see our platform as a one-trick pony, while in fact it has so much more to offer. Uh, to offer. So typically, these people have only one singular use case, and they don't like see, you know, why they should buy into this whole platform, right? And pay the price for all the other tools that they may not right. need. So we prefer when someone starts the search from a problem, right, um, or even several problems. So they tend to kind of Google the mid funnel, top of the funnel posts first, and then they move down funnel to solutions and specific products. Right. So you can kind of tell from, from the user activity and their search history that if they're searching for four or five problems to solve, or they're trying to get at untangle, maybe this bigger problem, yeah. they convert better, even if they don't interesting because you would you know you would think like oh this is you know this is a winning strategy they land on post number one and convert um but it makes a ton of sense that yeah then the, you know it like in, a, in an example for databox they're only looking for dashboards they don't want reporting mm -hmm. or like yeah. all the other things that are offered and so they don't understand what the value is or what the trade-off exactly. is there and if they don't understand the value and if they don't need anything else right it will be a lot harder to convince them that they should pay yeah, and I have the markup on all the other tools they don't want to use. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes a ton of sense. Um, and how often are you reporting? How often are you looking at these metrics with the marketing team? Are they tr are they aware of these um, weekly, monthly, quarterly? Yeah, monthly. So um, I feel this is kind of a good time frame to see some trends and at the same time, not to kind of panic over like just little seasonal budget and dips and um yeah i uh, like in the past i used to kind of fall into this trap of looking at the data too often and i feel it's a bit of a distraction or be a waste of time because yeah you, you have to account for some seasonality like for instance on a weekly basis like one week in one month may be very different because of the weekends than like the corresponding sort of time period when it comes to dates in the previous month. Um, so yeah, there is, I think that's, that's the time frame that works for us best. Now, what led to 
so obviously, you know, as we talk about this, your focus on, you've got a, you've got an intense focus on driving organic traffic through content. So you're, you're met, you've, you've focused on increasing monthly visitors, last touch conversions from organic, from, from the blog. What was the driver that triggered that? I know you were working in, in multiple channels. So what was the, why the focus on that? Yeah, so that was actually the best piece of advice we've ever received, <laughs> also from this fractional VP of marketing. Um, yeah, I'm very, very grateful to John. <laughs> so um, at the beginning, I was the first person in user pilots marketing team. So I was doing everything, like one of my colleagues who joined even earlier, he was kind of... Um, you know, between sales and marketing at that point. So he was helping me a bit, but essentially it was mostly me. So I feel the first year we were just throwing spaghetti to the wall and seeing what sticks. Or maybe rather than not seeing what sticks, just like continuously throwing spaghetti to the wall <laughs> and then wondering why, why our results weren't as good as we expected. Um, with a team of one and a half, you can't afford, you know, not to focus. Um, but we tried everything. We did content, we did webinars, we did like partnerships, we tried Quora, um, you name it, we did it. Um, link building. And then, you know, after a while I felt like I'm spreading myself so thinly. I don't really see growth and like significant growth in any of these channels. Like, I mean, the company was still growing, but we had massive problems with attribution because, you know, all these third party websites, like. I just didn't have time to really analyze data at that point either because there was just so many different, so many different touch points. So I feel like we didn't even know what is working. Like something was working, but we didn't even know. Right. So, um, yeah. And at that point, John pointed out like, Hey guys, why don't you just focus on, you know, what is working and like 70% of your leads are coming from the organic channel, right? This is basically your blog driving qualified traffic that is already interested in solving this problem while you're trying all the, you know, like Facebook ads, events, webinars, you name it, um, to convert people that may not even know they have this problem. Um, so we decided to in 2021 go all in and focus on content. Um, so focus on the organic channel and we had an ambitious goal to 10x our content output so to go from publishing one post per week tops to publishing you know 40 blog posts per month so you know wow. 10 per week two per day and i spent quite a lot of time like talking to people getting inspiration among others from john vanini um and then i built the system that allowed us to scale content and we're still using it is working, it is pretty scalable. Um, so we have like a fixed conveyor belt process with um, a lot more stakeholders than beforehand, uh, which allows us to now produce over 50 pizzas per month. And wow. we want to go further to like 110 by the end of the year. So still this, scaling. Mm. Yeah, this is amazing. Um, is... I think this is something that I'm curious to ask some questions for people listening that want to go down this route. I think there's a lot of people that know that they have organic opportunity and they could start 
kind of leaning into content marketing and using organic to drive signups or, or sales or whatever. Um, how did you, where did you start with the scope of content and the substance of what you'd write about? You mentioned you would talk to people and get ideas and things like that. Did it start with keyword research? Did it start with, uh, interviewing some of your, your customers and saying, what would you like to read about? Like right now, as I'm looking at the finished product, your blog is very informational. It covers the broad scope of all the things that you tackle. It's yeah. very educational focused. But when you were starting at scaling up from, you know, 10xing your output, how did you come up with topics that quickly? And and that like that's a big bet to make for for topics that they're going to be topics that your ideal customer resonates with and is searching for. So, what was the approach there to make sure to, to choose those topics. So by the time we decided to focus on content, we already had like roughly two years worth of content, um, probably more like two and a half. So we were able to say which pieces, which topics are driving most conversions, right? Um, and again, it's not really rocket science. You could do this just off the top of your head, understanding that bottom of the funnel posts, like, competitor versus competitor or competitor alternatives or your tool versus competitor or certain competitors features, right, are going to drive most conversions. So essentially, we divided our um, topics, block topics into content clusters that we aligned with the awareness funnel. So again, like starting from the bottom of the funnel and focusing on the different problems that our tool is solving. So um, what growth and convert calls pain point SEO, right? Um, focusing on the pains, focusing on the solutions and the specific products that can provide these solutions. Um, and, you know, we build these content clusters. Um, we sort of operationalized them as epics in Asana. So these became our milestone tasks revolving after uh, around one theme. And then it was a mixture of a lot of keyword research techniques. So both content gap analysis, you know, interviewing our um, customers, also, you know, derivative keywords. There's this cool technique where you can put your top converting keywords into a rejects and exclude them, but include keywords that include them. So that sort of generates long-tailed keywords that okay. are related to your top converting keywords, you know, going through black groups and being active. Uh, we constantly add more keywords um, to these epics. We sometimes have to like come up with, with a new one, right? When we feel like we haven't covered any area um, where we add a specific feature and then it leads us to understand that, oh, it could be used for it could be useful for a new industry vertical, right? So we need to account for that as well. Um, so it is very dynamic, but the structure remains the same. So there are the milestone tasks in Asana with subtasks for each blog post, right? Um, and then we move them along the different stakeholders in the process um, on the Kanban board. Now, is this was this something that... Uh... Uh, when you got started, you were writing these or did you employ freelance writers or how did you, how did you go from sort of, you know, one or two articles a week to, you know, to 10 a week? Yeah. So, um, initially 
we thought that we won't be able to scale it with freelancers because our tool is quite sophisticated. So, you know, um, we had pretty bad experience with freelancers. We had one that kind of wrote uh, decent posts, but then he resigned. So it was a, it was a challenge. I was quite lucky to have worked in content marketing for a while. So I had some connections with people that were smart. But one of my smartest content writers, like definitely didn't want to go in-house. So I spent like six or eight weeks just looking for these unicorn content people that would want to join us and that were, you know, familiar with the industry, interested in product management, or ideally had some experience with working with product teams and kind of understood the whole landscape. Um, and I did find them, it's not impossible, but they lasted less than three months. So, um, yeah, three months after hiring this team, the in-house writing team, I was left with just one content writer out of four. And that was the time where I was like, oh shit, I need to go back to the drawing board and rethink the, the system. And that was the point where I concluded that. You need to build better systems rather than relying on better people. Because these people were just too smart for the role, honestly. Um, you know, they were very smart. They were ambitious. They, as I said, used to work in either SaaS or product marketing. So why would they want to hammer right. out one SEO optimized post after another, after another, you know, especially with these content clusters that work out of, you have to do a lot of really repetitive stuff. Right. So if you were to write four or five blog posts like that per week, you would probably want to change your job pretty quickly. Because imagine yeah. like writing on competitor one versus competitor two on Monday, then competitor two versus competitor three on Tuesday. And uh, right. it's boring, but this is what we needed. So then we figure out, hey, we can actually do it differently and we can have you know, one or two smart people write very detailed briefs and instead have a lot more content writers just writing one blog post per week, right? So it gives them enough time to familiarize themselves with the topic. The briefs are so detailed. They just need to literally like paint by numbers. They don't even need to do their research. So what is super important is that we include the outline which contains all the you know headings, subheadings, etc., all the links, all the images. And we also include the talking points in the right order that have to go into each paragraph, right? Um, if there is some extra sort of reading to be done, we just include the resources for that as well. And that's what the, so that, that outline or briefing would be what the real subject matter experts would do. And yeah. you were able to find them to do that because it takes way less time. They don't get bored as quickly. Exactly. It's not as mind numbing. Yeah. Uh, and then the people that don't, that want to just write to write that are freelancers can use yeah. that as a starting point. And exactly. So, okay. And this has worked. <laughs> Luckily our, uh, we call them content editors. They haven't been quitting yet. So, um, yeah, it, it seems to be working. And of course there is some learning curve and it has been to some extent, a bottleneck for us as well. We would have scaled it even more earlier if it wasn't for, you know, the kind of startup time for the new editor before they are ready to write these briefs after joining our team. 
but it seems like now we've found a way around it. So kind of using a bit of programmatic SEO to generate the um, briefs. That's something okay. that we're going to experiment with. And did this involve any, uh, was this mostly just producing more content around these keywords and making the content thorough and helpful and all of that? Or did it include link building efforts? Did you try and drive, like, were there other things you did to try and boost overall domain authority that you think contributed to this? Or was it mostly just the increase in content? Yeah, so after reaching domain authority of 70, we kind of stopped building links consciously to specific pages. We used to do that earlier, and earlier it really had an impact on the domain authority. But then last year we made and we ran an experiment um, where we selected specific pages that we wanted to bump up in SERPs. And then specific timeframes, we tested different methods of doing that, right? So building high domain rating links to these specific pages versus, you know, adding videos. Um, yeah, I think this was like, we kind of pitched these against each other. Um, and, you know, we didn't really see that much impact of building links, even like these very expensive and hard to get links um, for pages that had more than 17 links pointing to them already. So that kind of indicated to us that it would be a waste of our resources, um, both in terms of time and money, because like hiring link building agencies, that's always, you know, a few thousand dollars plus um often the costs of publication um so we decided against it and we decided to just like wait for the links to come our way and uh yeah like uh, having a lot of good content definitely attracts links and also it attracts people who want to you know do some corporations so uh we do accept like offers to write guest posts for um relevant related uh websites especially you know i feel like domain relevance has even higher impact than domain rating these days mm. so especially if say a product uh, analytics tool or a complementary customer success tool comes over to us hey let's do some kind of a collaboration right let's run a webinar together and then they link back to us this is a lot more valuable than if i domain rating links or from some random media outlet that you get through Harrow. So right. that's kind of how we roll now, but you know, early, at early stages, it was a lot more important. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense that there's that shift that happens once you achieve a certain amount of sort of domain authority and sway and you have a certain amount of momentum, you can back off of that a little bit. Um, all right. I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to wrap up before we get to results. I have one more question. I think it'd be helpful for listeners. If for people that maybe feel they haven't really leaned into this approach, which John advocates a lot on LinkedIn that haven't dived fully into content marketing, creating quality content to try and, and drive organic. What do you think is the biggest mistake people make when they get started and what advice would you give them? Um, with contents, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would say not planning out their strategy. Um, 
And by strategy, I don't mean specific content plans, right? Because that comes later and you shouldn't do that like a year in advance because within a year, so much changes in, in Google and in the world in general that it may not make sense to write about specific topics that you chose a year ago. Um, but thinking how you're gonna, you know, arrange the content clusters, like which problems you should go after, um, spending a lot of time on kind of selecting how you're gonna be, um, basically searching for the right keywords. Okay. So, so this should be documented and you should have a process for that. So when you scale your team, someone can pick up where you left off. Um, you should spend a lot of time organizing your workflow, right? So making sure you're able to actually produce high quality content at scale, um, rather than relying on individuals to deliver. So that was the biggest lesson for me, right? Um, cause you know, people fail processes, um, don't fail as much. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that's a really critical thing that a lot of people skip is what's going to be our angle on this content. What's going to be mm. our voice or our point of view. And then, and then like you said, like the system behind it that, that, uh, yeah, like the foundational system that actually lets them build it. Yeah. So what was a result? Um, I have, obviously we could talk about this forever. I have questions about the call to actions that you're using to drive and all these things, mm. but let's skip to, uh, what were the results that you saw from this? So you, you, you had tested a variety of channels, basically any channel that could be tested, you had tested it. You weren't sure what was sticking. You had seen some early traction through content. So you decided to, you know, being a small team, go all in on what was already working and really lean into that. You 10 X content output. You came up with the framework. You did link building to help bolster it until you got to 70 domain, mm -hmm. domain authority of 70. Um, what was the results that you saw then of the impact of organic traffic and then the actual like conversions that you saw? Yeah. So, um, it was quite funny. It wasn't funny at that point. Um, but we only saw the results after, I would say, well, 12 months after making the decision to focus on content and then roughly seven, eight months after actually cracking the system and being able to scale it, maybe a bit less after we actually reached that, um, threshold of. 40, 40 plus blog posts per month. So it was a bit scary for me because it felt like for a very long time, I couldn't demonstrate the value of this massive and also free expensive project. And, and then I had these voices telling me that, oh, maybe just increasing content velocity is not the way, maybe our content quality, maybe we should like publish less, but better and la di da, maybe it was some mistake, but then it turned out, you know, we're with content, with SEO, you need to wait until the compound effects really kick in, especially in such a niche as ours, right? And um, because we don't have keywords with massive search volume. Um, so we sometimes go after what you would pretty much refer to as zero search volume keywords. Um, but you know, once it kicked in at the beginning of the year, it just like was this hockey stick growth. Um, so I just checked the results after, you know, um, 
a year and a half after making the decision to to invest in content and our organic visitors um grew by 299%, so almost 300. Wow. percent growth on that. And yeah, remember it's a, it's a niche field, so that's also a factor. And then, you know, our conversions went up by roughly 59% and that kind of varies depending on the months, like summer months tend to be a bit slower and due to seasonality. So these are the two like key metrics that indicate for me that this has been a success. That's amazing. Wow. It's, it's really well done. Um, the, was it difficult? Did you have buy-in from leadership that this was going to work or did that feel like something you had to sell them on any leading indicators you could, or like that had to be like a, a scary period. And like, while you're waiting for that growth to come. Yeah, but I'm quite lucky to have a CEO that, um, I feel understands marketing and is engaged in, um, the marketing department without like micromanaging, but you know, if he feels involved in what we're doing and, um, understands the potential issues, it also helped that, you know, our advisor, um, used to be a VP of marketing at a very successful SaaS company, which he scaled from like two and a half to 11 and a half million, um, in revenue in just two years, mostly using content. So, you know, um, when I was here asking the question, do you believe like user pilot can go from X to Y revenue just with content? He didn't hesitate for a second and said very confidently, absolutely. So, um, you know, I feel like we get, got a bit of this authoritative go ahead and that definitely helped, but yeah, it was a bit scary for me, I, I must say. And, and that's why I mentioned it instead of just like rattling off the numbers, because I feel it's really important to put this into perspective that mm. content is a long play. It's not something that's gonna give you results tomorrow. So. You need to expect to make a huge upfront investment for something that may only yield the ROI in eight, 12 months. Um, yeah. And that's expected. But the huge upside of that is that it's, you know, a gift that keeps on giving once you are able to maintain the position. That's why also tracking the keywords helps. Um, you know, the, the posts keep driving more conversions and then you can just focus on optimizing them and milk even more conversions out of it. Yeah, this has been so insightful. Um, thank you again for coming on. Obviously we could talk about, about this forever. And one yeah. thing I want to add, um, is everyone should go check out userpilot.com. Uh, the, one of the interesting things is you're seeing conversations on LinkedIn around questioning the value of SEO for more like enterprise customers, but the logos, you know, like just to put this conversation in perspective, the logos, you know, on your website are, um, some fairly big companies, McGraw Hill, Adobe. So like, it's not like this is only a play for like smaller companies. There's some argument that like bigger companies don't do SEO and, or they don't look for things this way or find products this way. And I feel you all are a good example of, of it working in that case. So go, go check out userpilot.com, uh, go check out the blog and, and what Amelia's done. Thank you for coming on and for, uh, sharing all of this, Amelia. Thank you so much, Jeremiah. It was my pleasure. 
Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.